Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live-action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are reviewing Quantum Leap. You can find Quantum Leap in a few different places. Um, We watched it for free on the Roku channel, but it's also available for purchase on Amazon Prime. So the new Quantum Leap will be coming this fall, maybe on Peacock. We're not really sure what network is going to host it, but we're excited to revisit the original in anticipation of the sequel. Or just because the original is awesome. And all, yeah, just also, well, we'll see with our ratings. We don't want to <laughs> give it away too much, but yeah, this show's great. But before that, we have our non-sponsored snack review. Okay, so today for the non-sponsored snack, Steve has... Pop-Tarts. Because Sam Beckett on Quantum Leap pops around from place to place. Right. He leaps or it's, pops. It's a bit of a stretch. It's a synonym. It's a synonym. So I actually have um, candy necklace. That's my unofficial snack. The reason I have a candy necklace is that I have celiacs and I can't enjoy the cardboard fun of a Pop-Tart. Mm, weak jeans. The other reason that I have a candy necklace is because we already reviewed Smarties and we talked about the history and we never talked about the fact that I did not know until later when I was researching candy necklaces that candy necklaces are just Smarties with a hole in the middle strung on a on a bouncy string. Yeah. The candy that you can enjoy with the taste of neck sweat. Yes. <laughs> At summer camp. Yeah. And That's then how I think of it. stick it in your mouth and then let the slobbery candy back on your neck. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Um, and then your neck is multicolored. But the official snack is Pop-Tart. And I have uh, the traditional frosted strawberry. Yep. Take a bite of your Pop-Tart and I'll talk about them a little bit. So, listen, Steve. Pop-Tarts. I never really liked I know we have this debate, but I was really more of a toaster pastry strudel. When Pillsbury came out with toaster pastry strudels, I was like, what have I been eating these Pop-Tarts my whole life? They're garbage. And I never had another Pop-Tart again. But the history of Pop-Tarts is fascinating. They are from Kellogg, but they originated with Post. So basically, here's what happened. In the 1950s and 60s, cereal companies really started to become competitive, like after World War II. Mm -hmm. So they start coming out with all of these like cartoon characters and more colorful boxes and different flavors to try to attract more kids and like really take over the breakfast market, right? Mm -hmm. So after World War II is really when we start getting more and more processed Mm -hmm. foods and this is kind of part of it. So in 1960, Post invents this process for enclosing moist food in foil, right? Like the Mylar kind of package that Pop-Tarts comes in. They first use it for dog food, but then they adapt it and they're going to come out with this like toaster prepared breakfast food. Mm -hmm. And they call it Country Squares, but they announced it in 1963 before it comes to market. All of these cereal companies are competing like for their stake of right. the cereal market. So basically, they reveal Country Squares, their biggest competitor develops their version in six months. 
and that's Kellogg's. And Pop-Tarts are born. So they re- initially call it Fruit Scones. The name is soon changed to Pop-Tarts, which is supposed to be, like, at that time, pop art was, mm-hmm. like, the big movement with, like, Andy Warhol and all that. Um, they have an anthropomorphic toaster named Milton to try to, like, sell these to kids. And they sell out within, like, a couple weeks. Kellogg's apologizes for the lack of inventory and people go even more crazy for them. (laughs) And then a year later, they figure out the formula for a frosting that can withstand the heat of a toaster. So now they're frosted and now they're even more popular. Oh, yeah. And that's basically basically, um, what happened and how they became so popular. So they start out with four flavors, strawberry, blueberry, brown sugar cinnamon, which surprises me because I thought that came later. I don't remember seeing that. No, brown sugar cinnamon has been around for a long time. Yeah. Well, that was one of their original flavors. But as a kid, I really only saw strawberry and blueberry. Okay. And their fourth flavor was apple currant which was later renamed Apple Berry. And now there are over 20 Pop-Tart flavors. Hot Fudge Sundae, S'mores, Raspberry, Cinnamon Pretzel. They have Unfrosted. They have... Um, Bagel. Oh, yeah. The everything. Okay, so Pop-Tarts. This is a funny story, actually. Pop-Tarts a couple of years ago. Or was it last year? Uh, it, it was in, in the not-so-distant future. Ran a competition. Right, and they had an un they had a mystery flavor. Yes. So Steve and I go grocery shopping and I know sometimes he likes Pop Tarts for breakfast. So this is actually surprisingly one of the few snacks that we have had, you know, since we were ten. Yeah. But I buy him this box and I'm like, Oh, it's a mystery flavor. So <laughs> So she brings it home and I decide to have Pop Tarts one day for a snack and I'm like, Oh, I'll try the mystery flavor and I'll figure out what it is. So I open it up and I start eating it and it is it is not a good taste. I can't figure out what it is. There's a there's a severe lack of sweetness, which Pop Tarts are almost always very sweet. Right. And it's just kind of bland and like almost bready tasting and I just can't put my finger on what this flavor is. So he has me smell it, but of course like I can't actually taste it, so I'm trying to guess based on the smell. And then we had my brother and my dad were here for the holidays and they tasted it. And my dad was like, is it garlic bread? And my brother was like, this just tastes like Wonder Bread with like weird, bland, nothing. So we look it up online and they finally reveal it. And it's everything bagel. It's everything bagel. Pop-Tarts. Who who (laughs) decided what ungodly creation is everything bagels in a Pop-Tart? It's so funny to me. So that was the last time Steve had a pop chart. Basically, it was that everything bagel. Oh, before I forget, there is, I'm so excited because to me, I love stories about business wars like Mm -hmm. that. And I find it really interesting, like the different tactics that businesses use, like to try to come out on top. So there is a movie coming out soon called Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart story. Oh. And it is... Jerry Seinfeld, Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, Amy Schumer, Hugh Grant, and James Marsden. So it's got, like, a lot of heavy hitters. And, um, yeah, coming to Netflix soon. So if you want to find out more about how Pop-Tarts originated, I highly recommend the upcoming film. So 
before we move on, I need to know who is your favorite breakfast cartoon? Is it Milton oh. the Pop Tart? Is <laughs> it Pop Tart Toaster? To- is it Tony the Tiger? Is it Toucan Sam, Captain Crunch, or Lucky? So I think that I think that Lucky for the the Leprechaun from Lucky Charms. I think that he's the most developed as a character. Because you're Irish. But I will say that um, in terms of like 80s nostalgia, Tony the Tiger was like the coolest. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like from Frosted Flakes. Um, I also, there were also like, it's funny, I'm thinking about now like ones I've forgotten, like um, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's true. I'm and gonna... the three rice, Chris, Nap, Pet, Crackle, and Pop were pretty fun. I'm going to go with a less remembered trio, but close to my heart. The Cinnamon Sugar Bakers from Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, yes. Cinnamon <laughs> Sugar were baking yeah. up a bunch. Yeah, they were great, too. So you eat your Pop-Tarts untoasted. Yeah, because I'm my, not a savage. My parents actually did not allow us to have Pop-Tarts, but my dad's friend did. And we went over to their house, and they would cook, like, everything in their kitchen for you for breakfast. Like, you'd mm-hmm. go over to visit, and they'd have everything from the fridge. And they gave me Pop-Tarts, and then they put butter on them. Oh, my goodness. And I had had Pop-Tarts, like, maybe once, and then I was like, Pop-Tarts with butter. Oh, my goodness. But then, like I said, toaster pastry strudels are just so, like, flaky and delicate, and they are, like, having, like, a croissant with frosting on it. Toaster but... pastry strudels are trash. No, they're not stock. Yes, they're, they don't. They don't deserve to hold open the Mylar envelope that Pop-Tarts is in. Okay. So listen, we rate the snack one out of five for, uh, we rate one out of five something for the snack. And we rate one out of ten for the show. Today we are going to go with Adams because it's Quantum Leap. That's true. So out of five Adams. Pop-Tarts? Oh, five. Okay. Easy. From my memory of them, I would probably have given them a two, but I don't count today because I only have my sad candy necklace. That's true. Um, we talked about Smarties, by the way, on our episode about Muppet Babies. Yes. So, so... Yeah! Five Adams out of five. We did it. Five out of five Adams for Pop-Tarts. And um, you can enjoy them in really any grocery store. But I will link, if you can't find them where you live, I'll link them on the blog. They're literally at any grocery store. <laughs> yeah, and, and most like 25 stores. flavors. Well, but if you live in like the UK and you have like that one American section where all the fatty foods are with yes. all the sugar in them, maybe you don't have Pop-Tarts there. So I'll link them on the blog. Um, okay, so now let's move into an overview of Quantum Leap, our show for the day. All right, so normally this is where I give our quick summary of what the show is really kind of about. But I think that no one did this better than the introduction to Quantum Leap. Okay. Every episode had the same oral narration with an introduction. And so I'm just going to read that and let it stand for itself. Okay. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, 
an observer from his time, who, ap who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be his leap home. Love it. There yeah. it is. That's the whole show. That's the premise. <laughs> That's the whole show. Um, my first fun fact is that that introduction to mm -hmm. the show was um, read by a woman who appeared in one of the episodes that we watched. Yes. And she was a producer for the show as well. And I forget her Deborah name. Deborah Pratt. There yep. we go. She was also the voice of Ziggy. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that she, we just happened to pick an episode that um, that she co-starred in. Because I thought that was kind of fun, and I'm glad that that's how the dice, we normally choose episodes, but this time we let the dice decide. Yes. So I thought that that was kind of fun. She appeared in the episode A Portrait for Troyan, which we're going to talk about during our review and recap. So let's start with Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula plays Dr. Sam Beckett. Yep. The person leaping from life to life to put right when ones are wrong. And basically, this was his first really big thing. So he had been in a number of smaller um, roles. He had done um, My Sister Sam, which was the show that had um, Rebecca Schaefer, who was killed by her fan. Okay. Her, her uh, fans stalked her, so the show kind of quickly went off the air. Hang on. Yeah, Rebecca Schaefer. Um, and it, which I don't want to get too dark. It really helped to change stalking laws, though, in this country. Um, but he did a, an episode of that show, an episode of The Magical World of Disney. Okay. Um, a couple episodes of this show, a short-lived show called Gung Ho. Um, looks like maybe he starred in that, but it only lasted like nine episodes. Um, couple episodes of Matlock, and this is my favorite, five episodes of Designing Women, a okay. show that I forget about. He must have played <laughs> so like a love list. interest of one of the women or I something. think so, yeah. He plays mm -hmm. Dr. Ted Shively, so probably a okay. love interest who comes in for a short, like, run. Um, and then he did some smaller movies, um, In the Shadow of a Killer, Sibling Rivalry, like, Smaller things. Yes. He was um, cast in this pretty quickly. Basically, he went in and read and he walked out and the producer, Belisario, was like, that's the guy. Just go, go tell him that he's, he's <laughs> in. And then Dean Stockwell, who plays Al, um, the hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And of yep. course, he's a real person back uh, back in the future. <laughs> right, um, right. So a lot of people, if they haven't really seen the show before, people might think that Al is just a, like a projection, a computer mm -hmm. projection. But no, he's a real person. Um, and he had been in a number of movies. He was actually a child actor. He started out when he was nine. And there are a ton of movies that I have uh, seen that Steve has not and I won't read them all to you because you would be like, I don't know any of those, Megan. But um, it's kind of interesting to me that basically the one of the most recent things he did before this was the movie Blue Velvet. And he was kind of encouraged by some people not to do the show. But he 
thought, well, I've kind of done movies for a really long time. I want to do something different. I'm not interested in theater. And I might as well do a TV show, which is, is, is fascinating to me because really before um, Kiefer Sutherland did that with tw- the show 24. Yes. Right? But before that, a lot of times people looked at TV as kind of like lesser than. Yes. Yeah, but, movies was where it was at. Yeah, but some of the things he was in in the 40s, um, Anchors Away, um, he was in a movie with Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. He was in The Green Years. Um, the, the song of the thin man, a gentleman's agreement, the boy with the green hair, the secret garden. He played Colin Craven, not the, the nineties version that a lot of our listeners remember, but the original like 1949 version, the happy years. I mean, I could go on and on. He, he had over 200 roles in film and television. Yeah. He was well established. And it's part of the reason, as you mentioned, some people specifically Dennis Hopper, Mm. who's a friend of his suggest strongly suggested that he pass on quantum leap because he had just he had just been nominated for an oscar for married to the mob interesting and dennis hopper was like listen like you're 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 like a movie star you were just were nominated for an oscar and now you're gonna do this kind of goofy tv show like sci-fi thing he's like that's a terrible idea but also i can understand because He'd been in movies since 1945. Yeah. This is 1989. So there's a couple things going on there. First of all, you've been in movies for 50 years of your life. That's true. The second thing is that for an actor, being in movies can be a little bit... It produces a lot of anxiety. Because even though you do get paid well, a character actor like Dean Stockwell was... Yes. Was, he's not getting, like, millions every movie. Right, right. right. So... A TV show is pretty much like guaranteed income. It's steady work. Yeah. yeah. And so he was like, I'm going to just kind of settle here for maybe, I don't know, four or five years, which is exactly how long the show yes. ran for, which is kind of funny to me. Well, you're talking about Dean Stockwell. One of the kind of fun, funny facts about Dean Stockwell was that he actually is the person that suggested that Al smoke cigars. <laughs> Why is that? And when asked in an interview, he said, well, I have to be honest and... And tell you the reason I suggested it was so I could get free cigars. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that kind of happening. Um, Sam Beckett's catchphrase is, oh boy. A lot of times, like right when he leaps, he leaps. It's it's a really fun structure in terms of plot because he's coming in in medias race, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time he's coming into the middle of the situation. And the fun of the show is, you know, like the whole first act is finding out who he is and what's going on. Right. Right. Um, then the second act is like complications to whatever the problem is. And then the third act is like solving the problem. Yes. So... He he ad libbed the and improvised the line "Oh boy" at the end of the first episode. The writers liked it so much that it kind of like became a catchphrase. They would right. say, and, and he almost says it in every episode, just about. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of it, uh, fun. It was interesting too because you know for a while people that watched this show were like they weren't struggling to understand the concept, but there was discussion on like. His leaping was like, does he actually leap into the person? You know, and in the show, they mentioned that he kind of swaps, right? You know, the the showrunners and the writers said during a a special, like, 
watch party that they mm-hmm. had of one of the episodes, they said, you know, really what's happening is that he's taking the place of the person. The person's going to the future, right? But he's still surrounded with their, like, aura. Right. So people see who they think it is, right? And they said that that was really important because they didn't want... If he were to become the person, like, and he was a lot of different people. He was people of different races. He was one, a number of times he was a woman, a pregnant woman. He was people with a number of different disabilities. Right. Um, very old people, very young people. And they said, you know, if he had to jump into the person's body and deal directly with what they were dealing with, then... Sam might leave that leap with a with a better understanding of the person's challenges. Mm-hmm. This way, he got to still be himself, but the important part was more than understanding the person's challenges, he got a better understanding of how the person was viewed by everyone else. Yeah, and it seems also like... Well, in the first season, too, that, that's not as clear, and it, they kind of clarify it in later seasons where... It, there's some episodes where they actually show the person like in the waiting room, basically. Right. But the other thing about that is that they kind of explain it a little bit with his Swiss cheese brain, mm-hmm. so that there are gaps in his memory, and sometimes it kind of seems to overlap. Like there's an episode with with Lee Harvey Oswald where Oswald doesn't quite leave completely. Right. So sometimes Sam feels like he's not really in charge of the body, that kind of thing. And I also like that because he's reacting, there are times, especially with romantic interests, where he feels like drawn to that particular individual because the person he leapt into is drawn to that individual. Right. right? So it's, yeah, it's kind of neat the way that they did it. Um, And fans really loved the show. People who actually watched it really loved it. It was facing cancellation after the third season. And... They had an aggressive letter writing campaign, which you have to know if you're a younger listener to this podcast. We have this all the time now. Like people start an online petition and you add your name or your email. Mm -hmm. And it's like a petition for like Netflix to do another season of a show. Or like, hey, this show's going off the air, but it could be picked up by streaming. Like, let's, let's fight for it. This was actual letter writing. Yeah, you had like, to, you had to actually go through. You had to put through some effort to write a letter and send it in the mail. Yeah, yeah. even if you just had a form that you printed on your computer. Right. Um, and it had to. It was. It had to have been harder as well to get a campaign going because there is no internet at this point. Yeah. This is nineteen eighty like Th- seven this, or eight. This was eight. It was eighty nine to ninety three. Right. And so even in 93, when it's going off the air, you're talking like a dot matrix printer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not It's not it's the not internet. internet the no. And the printer is, it's like the kind of printer that had the little holes on the side of the paper. Right. Yes. You know? <laughs> I forgot about those. We used to make stuff with print shop. Do you remember print? Yes. Oh, man, I loved print shop. So, so most much. likely people were probably writing, still handwriting letters. Yeah. Um. So he... Is, as Steve read, he's leaping within his own lifetime. Yep. Sam Beckett was born in 1953. So the show covered almost every year from 1953 to 1987. He never leaped into 77, 84, or 86. But he did leap into 1958 eight separate times. Okay. (laughs) So they said that that was Sam Beckett's favorite year. Okay. Apparently... (laughs) 
And once he leapt into the Civil War, which kind of broke his own rules. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting the way they played with that because they they kind of wrote it off as like, well, you and your grandfather were genetically similar enough. And that so you got confu- it confused right. it. We also have a couple of episodes where he leaps into like another person within the same group of people. Yes. So he helps them one time and then he kind of goes back to help them again. Um, and... We also, toward the end of the run, have the introduction of my favorite, which we did not watch for this podcast, The Evil Leaper. The Evil Late Leaper, yes. I could have watched a whole other five seasons of just him and The Evil Leaper. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, it would have been it would have been great. I think, you know, you mentioned Scott Bakula, and, and this was a really challenging role for him because he had to work sometimes seven days a week. Because yeah. unlike most shows where they'll shoot, you know, one actor scenes on a few days and another actor scenes a few days, because the whole show is centered on him and who he's leapt into, he's in every scene. Right. And so yeah. he had to be there for every step of the and Dean Stockwell had to be in a lot of it too. But not nearly as much. It was only you know, they could probably shoot in a day or two the scenes where Dean Stockwell, you know, steps in as a hologram. But Scott Bakula's in it, it. The camera literally follows him the whole episode, basically. Yeah, it's structured a lot like um, Highway to Heaven, which we haven't reviewed yet, but yeah. we will. Which has again just two characters um, in every episode. So it's about the Michael landed as an angel, and then um, the other guy that he's with is his friend Mark. And Jonathan, the angel, and Mark travel around and help people. Right. But they don't time travel like this show is. Yeah. Um, the other thing about, you know, what Steve's talking about is that it is, my point about that show is that it's very taxi on the actors. And for both of those two actors, that was the last show they did. Yeah. But the thing is that a lot of people don't realize that there are kind of two different types of shows on television. The first is... A single cam um, where it's used in a lot of dramas typically so they shoot from one angle one camera so that they can get every all of your surroundings and then they'll go to like the back and they'll shoot the scene again from a different angle right. and sometimes they'll do that three or four times and that's this kind of show so he's doing something like boxing yeah. But he has to do it over and over and mm-hmm. over. The other type of show is called a multicam. And what happens with a multicam is typically that's used for like sitcoms. Right. So they'll set up three cameras that are all pointed at essentially the stage to get the different angles, but the cameras don't really move around as much. Yeah. Right? So the actors in that case, a lot of times, they might do one or two takes, but they're not right. doing it nearly as many times as this. The The other aspect was because he was leaping into someone different every time, it was very physically demanding. Because mm. one time, you know, he could spend a whole week being a boxer and then a soldier, you know, and then he could be in high heels for a week. Right. You know, um, you know, he could be a race car driver. Like, it was very physically demanding, you know, and, and it changed all the time. And I would think emotionally demanding, too, as an actor, because you're not settling in. I mean, in some essence, he's playing Sam Beckett. But in another very real sense, he's playing Sam Beckett playing other people. Yes. Right? So you, it's not like a TV show where 
I, you know, I'll say I heard Dax Shepard talking about this once that he was on um, Parenthood and he's like, I felt like I settled into that character and I kind of, it was right. easier after a couple of years because the show ran for eight years. I knew how to, you know, move my body in the way that this guy would move his body. Right. Right. You can't do that in this kind of a show. Um, yeah. So I can see why it would feel to him like running a marathon. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, the show did come to a close. A lot of people hated the ending. And the ending was interesting because there were rumors that basically Belisario, the showrunner, went to them and said, we're not sure what's going on with this show, so make a final episode that could be a season finale or a series finale. Right, which happens a lot of the time. Right, because we don't know what's going to happen with it. And so they shot this, the finale, they left it, and then what they did was after they found out that it was canceled... They put the plate the, the they put the the title cards in that tell you what happened to people. Yeah, and apparently they shun a number of alternative endings as well. Recently, some people found other the other title cards that said other things and released them, and then another and then someone released on Reddit basically some of the video mm. of one of the other alternate endings. And it, and it was at that point that Scott Bakula came out and said, we did a number of different scenes, and the one that, that this guy released is authentic. Yeah, which is interesting because the, the, what the scene entailed was Al going back in time as a leaper himself to try to find Sam. Right. So basically it was going to be that like Sam was kind of lost in time and that maybe they would be teamed up together but without the benefit of Ziggy and the the computer and Gushy and the right. whole rest of the team. So I think that that would have been really fascinating. Um, but the show did, it, you know, a lot of fans loved it. It, it I don't want to step too much on um, reception, but it was novelized, yeah. <laughs> which I find fascinating, and turned into a series of comic books. So it had some uh, some legs, as they say. So that's it for our history and fun facts. We're going to break for commercial, and then we'll come back and talk about our memories, our full review and recap. We have a little bit of a different commercial for you guys today. Um, we really wanted to take a couple weeks to try to kind of advertise for other podcasts that we love. Yeah, a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of podcast content creators who are on here just doing things that they love and we're you know not making money or anything like that and so we wanted to recognize a few of the other podcasts that they're that are doing it so we um, contacted some of them and decided to you know ask them to basically make a little ad or trailer that we could play here so that you guys could uh, you know possibly experience some other podcasts yeah so the <laughs> the first one is S1E1, and it's one of the shows that we enjoy. It's a little bit rowdier than our show. Mm -hmm. They don't bleep themselves the way I had to bleep yep. myself last week, but um, we hope you enjoy it. So here you go. Hey, everyone. Nick here from the S1E1 podcast. Each week, we pick a different sitcom, watch just the first televised episode, and ignoring anything we may know about the future run of that series, decide if it's a show that we want to greenlight or cancel. We very seriously dissect TV shows for no reason at all. I gotta pee. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> old timey. Ah, I got a Frankenstein on my show. You should about? know because right now you're dressed like a London DJ. <laughs> 
<laughs> Moving forward, unless there's anything else depressing about my life you want to bring up. That's impressive to find that many bad shows. Who's Boner? I don't even know what a Banksy is. Catch us each week wherever you listen to podcasts and visit us at s1e1pod.com for links to everywhere you can find us. All right, everybody, we are back. My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And we're going to talk about our memories of Quantum Leap. So, Steve, you're super into sci-fi. Did you like this show as a kid? I did. I loved this show as a kid. And, I, you know, I have a lot of memories of watching it originally when it came out because I would have been, you know, I started to really get into sci-fi as I was in my adolescence. And, you know, this show came out when I was 12 and was out until I was 15 or 16. So it's the perfect age range for me. Yeah. And, you know, I were, there's a number of episodes I remember that just stuck in my head. You know, um, you know episodes where he was in Vietnam. You know, episodes, that obviously, the, the one where he's a pregnant woman, right? There's a few, the, the one where he is um, the, the young man who has Down syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. And so those things were just so emotional and they connected with me so much and then i also had memories later because after it was off the show and it started going to syndication and things like that you know this was the early 90 early to mid 90s is when the sci-fi network came out right and they were one they were probably one of the first ones to pick up on it and they would do marathons because there's 97 episodes right right so they would run marathons of quantum leap and i was able to you know for the next probably 10 years I can remember you could you know very often click on it you know be home or something during the day and click on sci-fi and catch multiple episodes of it yeah it was a lot like um like Law and Order SVU on USA Network yeah (laughs) they'd have like long marathons the other thing is I suspected you would really like this as a kid because you're a big history buff as well I am yeah and they had a lot of history which I loved yeah, and I I really am into history, and there are, like Steve mentioned Vietnam, but there are other things about this show that are not just historical events, like they do have, um, kind of based on a real story, one of the episodes is set in the 1950s, and it's about a radio, a rock and roll radio station that, it, that the people of the town are trying to get shut down. Yes. <laughs> but there's also a lot, he- and there's things about, like, segregation and mm-hmm. things like that. But there's also a lot here of, like, bringing history to life because you don't fully realize, as a kid, when you're learning about history in, like, a social studies textbook, right? You don't realize, like, the full cultural differences of... Like you mentioned, what it was like to be a pregnant woman in the 1950s. Yeah. Right? Like, what what that actually might feel like. And that's what he's doing. Like, it's all about empathy. What it feels like to, to have Down syndrome in the 1970s. When basically anybody with that condition was just kind of written off and put in a home. Right. Right? Um, and so my memories are kind of similar to yours in that... The emotion and the empathy of the rich characterization of learning who this person is and how they got into whatever situation they got into and the injustice of it, because he is trying to put right something that was wrong. Right. Um, And I think that that just really connected with me. I do like sci-fi stuff. The other thing is that there's two other 
there's two other things going on at the same time as this show. And the first is Star Trek The Next Generation. Yep. So a lot of times in syndication later, we would like around dinner time or just mm-hmm. after, they would do like Star Trek and then they would also play this. Okay. So it would be kind of like a block from what yep. I remember. The other thing is that this is, this is one of the first shows we've talked about where... Uh, for adults, where I was allowed to watch it at the time that it was actually first going. Right, right. And because I was 10. So again, this is like, as you said, 10, 11, 12, 13. This is perfect timing. Yes. Um, And I loved this show. Toward the end of the, ru- the run of this show, they had an episode, as I mentioned earlier, about Lee Harvey Oswald and John F. Kennedy. Mm. It came out around the same time as the movie JFK. I don't think I've ever told you that. I was obsessed with that movie. Okay. Like, full-on obsessed. And a couple of my friends and I got deep into, like, the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. Again, (laughs) really pre-internet. Right. So we were, like, going to the library and doing research just on our own time. Because that's the kind of nerd I was. And, like, look, and, like, there's a picture of Lee Harvey Oswald holding a gun. Look at the the shadows not right on that picture. That's a fake picture. Like, all that crazy stuff. So I just, like, indelibly in my mind, (laughs) this is so tied to, like, that moment of this movie came out and it spurred... Um, the Oliver Stone movie just spurred all of these other TV shows doing Kennedy episodes. Mm-hmm. And there was a big push for nostalgia, which is interesting because now we're like my parents' age at that point. Yeah. And we're nostalgic about something that was from the 80s. But really, the show Quantum Leap is nostalgic for like the 50s and 60s. It really was, yeah. Yeah, even though it's showing like some of the darker aspects, it's still trying to also hit that nostalgic note for for baby boomers. It was, yeah. And, And, you know, I think what also made it strike in my memory so powerfully, and this is probably, I would think it connected with a lot of other people too, was... As much as it was criticized, it was the finale, the finale, the final episode. Mm. Because, and this is spoilers, so I'll say this: spoilers. If you have never seen it and you don't want it ruined, talk, turn it off now or jump ahead, right? But I mean, it's been you know it's, it's been, been out years. since eighty nine. Yeah, since I, I think you know you're okay. It's been you know thirty four, thirty five years. So um, the finale, he has the opportunity to leap home. And instead, he chooses to leap back and fix Al's life. Right. Because Al's been through multiple marriages ever since his first life. His first wife um, moved on while he was a POW, and she thought he was dead. Yeah, she Beth thought that yeah. he had died. And he never kind of recovered from that. And yeah. he jumped from marriage to marriage to girlfriend, and he was just kind of this womanizer guy. Um, and so you see, you know, this whole four-year leaping... Mm-hmm. has been Sam, he's been helping people, but he's all ultimately been trying to get home. Yeah. That's his goal, right? And at the end, when presented with that option, he chooses to leap once more to say to make Al's life better. Right. And it's in that option that it, he loses the opportunity to leap home and because it kind of keeps him leaping, right? And so it, it, they just, you know, they put one of the title, the end place cards that just says dr sam beckett never returned home right so it's like even though the show ended he's out there leaping still all over the place right he's continuously lost and out there leaping and i just thought that was a very powerful emotional ending 
It, it that's way better to me than if they just had him return home and it was happy. Yeah, um, I remember the ending episode as um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't like it. But <laughs> I, what I did like is that the guy playing the bartender, who may or may not be God, that Sam says, "So you're the one who's been leaping me all these places," and he's like, "No, look in the mirror," and that he really pulls out of him that yes, while he does in some way want to leap home, he knows that this is like his mission, that he's changing lives and helping people and that he's kind of been the one called to do it. And also he volunteered because another spoiler alert, I also watched the pilot and the pilot opens with Al getting a phone call from Gushy telling him that even though the program wasn't ready, Sam leaped into the leaping machine like right. he just jumped in yeah and then they show him in this like blue flame with his arms out like the uh like leonardo da vinci's drawing of the man right yeah. so it was his it was his choice and kind of an impulsive choice but it was his choice and that if his mission were truly done then maybe he would go home but i did also feel like we were kind of robbed of that last season Mm-hmm. I think that there was some rich storytelling still to be done. That's kind of my take on it. Um, so let's get into our full review and recap. As I said, I went back and watched the pilot, which I don't, there were parts of the pilot I had never seen, probably because it was shortened for TV in syndication. Yes. Um, and we watched the finale, but we're not really going to talk about those. We're going to talk about, um, the first episode that we picked by the roll of the dice. Yes, we rolled, if you didn't listen to the last episode we had, we rolled dice. Yep. Because we have seen so many of these, we didn't want to just choose one ourselves. Yeah, we didn't want to be biased. Um, And you rolled season two, episode 11. Yep. Which was Portrait of Trojan. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that in that Sam leaps into Dr. Timothy Mintz, who's a parapsychologist. Yeah. He's a ghost hunter. Yeah, in the in the description it called him a university ghostbuster, but parapsychologist yeah. is probably a better um, description. And he's working with Troyan Claridge, who's a widow. She feels like her husband's ghost is trying to contact her. You know, there's a few things going on. Mintz, the actual doctor who swapped with Sam, is attracted to Troyan. And so, of course, so is Sam. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, he's... And then Troyan. so just to kind of, uh, before we get into beat by beat, he is attracted to Troyan. Troyan has a brother also living yep. with her. Jimmy uh, Giovanni. Jimmy. And then she also has a housekeeper, mm-hmm. Mrs. Stoltz. Yes, Priscilla Stoltz. Yep. And something sinister seems to be going on. We hear these voices kind of calling her. Um, Al tells him that the research shows, history shows that she died two days later drowning in the lake outside the house. Right. Basically, so he knows that she might die if he doesn't intervene. Exactly. Um, and also, it's funny because Sam is, he, he's jumped into a, a ghost hunter and Sam doesn't believe in ghosts. Yes. So basically, Al believes in ghosts and thinks that it's creepy. Sam thinks that there has to be some kind of 
scientific explanation. He has six PhDs. So the title... <laughs> so he's a scientist. Yeah. And I thought I hadn't remembered this. I just didn't remember the title, but I definitely remember this episode. The title portrait for Troyan comes from the fact that she is an artist and doing all of these different paintings. And at various points, like she's woken up or she walks into a room and there's a painting seemingly done by her but with like creepy additions and mm -hmm. it's like dripping water and things like that. So the title also, Portrait for Troyan, came from David Belisario, the showrunner's daughter, was named Troyan. Oh, interesting. And so that's why they named this character Troyan. And she's played by, as we said before, one of the people who was already connected, who was the voice of Ziggy and did the narration. Well, I mean, she did the narration, but more importantly, she was like the showrunner. Yeah, she was, Deborah Pratt. Yeah, Deborah yeah. Pratt was and a producer she plays on the Trillium. show. Yeah, and um, so my first, okay, my first thoughts. We watched this episode first, and then um, I went back and started binge watching the, the whole show, which is why I saw the pilot. But my first reaction um, when we when we do the whole intro. We have the summary that Steve read at the beginning, right? Yep. And then we have this montage. I forgot a lot of 80s shows have this. And the last couple things we've watched, we've seen like on YouTube or whatever. So the intro is so long. Yes. And also, he kisses so many people in this montage. It's like him kissing a woman and then a different woman and then a different one. Like, like just throughout history, yeah. he's the kissing bandit. So we open and it the, the, the screen tells us the date. Yep. It's February 7th, 1971. Um, it does look like 1871. Because because they live in like this gothic like mansion, basically. Yeah. Yep, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It they did a good job of it of it opening up into like a rainy night. Yeah. And so it sets it up almost as this very gothic horror kind of setting. Yeah, and I forgot that the way that he leaps in is like he's coming in in the middle of this, so it's like he's he's ushering this girl in from this wet storm, but he doesn't know why he's doing that or who she is or what his relationship to her is, right? Um, and the housekeeper is there, and she's very clearly... A lot of these episodes are kind of pulled from like inspired by different real life events or different things in television or literature or film, yep. right? This is very clear. She's supposed to be like Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca. Yeah. And um, we have kind of the same setup, except the husband has died, but it's a younger wife, yes. an older husband, a, a house and an estate that used to be his, that is now hers. Um, all of that. Um, and Troyan at various times tries to stick up for herself. So Mrs. Danvers, um, whose real name I forget, uh, Stoltz, Mrs. Yeah, Stoltz. Yeah, Priscilla Stoltz, yeah. She makes some comments about how he shouldn't be here. And Troyan says, I'm the mistress here. He will be made to feel welcome. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the. Mrs. Stoltz, the housekeeper, just seems very ornery and very, like, rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I also love that he, Sam leaps into this in the middle of a dark, stormy night, right? And outdoors, and he's covered in rain, and he's in, in, 
and Troyan kind of comes out of nowhere and he grabs her and she's covered in mud and stuff like that. Um, and Sam says, oh boy, which of course is catchphrase, right? It, you, you have that great entrance, I think. Yeah. Um, it, but I do, but what did, what did strike me as kind of funny is that, as you said, they are on this, this huge estate, but there was kind of like a fashion trend in the 1980s to have kind of Victorian looking clothes yeah, with higher collars and puffy sleeves. And there was also a trend in the seventies of like the prairie look. So they put Troyan in these kinds of outfits, but her brother comes in Jimmy and he looks like a frat guy from the 1970s. Like he's got like the feathered hair and he's wearing like a red polo shirt. He kind of has like, Sean Cassidy vibe. Yeah, he looks like he's going to the yacht club. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it makes it very, right from the get-go, it makes it very clear that Jimmy, at least, and possibly the housekeeper, think that Sam is there as Dr. Mintz. They feel like he's taking advantage of Troyan. He's there yes. just to find ghosts and doesn't really care if, you know, she goes crazy because of that. Right, and that he's kind of exploiting her. Right. Right. Which which is hilarious because, like I said, as we figure out, Sam believes that there's a scientific reason behind this and wants to, he actually wants to prove there's no ghosts. Yeah, and it, it causes some conflict because he has a machine, kind of like a seismograph, mm-hmm. and it's, it's noting, like, changes, electronic, like, pulses, basically. Right. So at one point he's like, oh, these pulses showed that there was going to be an earthquake, right? Like a seismograph would be. Yeah. And she's like, they aren't from, they aren't the imprint of Julian's voice? No. He's like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> no, but he's kind of walking a fine, a fine line here. It's interesting, too, because Al, as a hologram, isn't sure whether or not the housekeeper can see him. Yeah, he makes a statement that she's really creepy, and it was like she was looking right through him. Which is a hologram. <laughs> right, right, but almost like staring him down. Yeah. Um, I, I also forgot, um, I can never remember if Ziggy's the analyst or the computer. Ziggy's the computer. But it's it isn't... Fe- it's a female AI computer. Right, so that's the thing, that sometimes Ziggy feels like doing things and sometimes Ziggy doesn't because yeah. it's very much like a person. I get Ziggy and Gushy mixed up, I guess. Um, the handheld thing that Al holds is so much like a smartphone with like a cool case on it. it yeah, it looks like a smartphone with like a Lego case almost. Yeah, but I've seen people have those. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's actually. interesting that they kind of, you know, we talked about this with the fifth element, that a lot of the technology in the fifth element felt more 90s and not as much like pushing forward as much as a reflection of that time. Yes. I felt like the technology and and even the way that they used the current technology from the 70s right. was very much like forward thinking. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. It's also, you know, I mean, Sam is supposed to be from a little bit after present day. Right. Right. So probably maybe 90s because it came out in 89. Right, maybe late nineties. I mean, it's not that old. No, it yeah, or it's well, it's very clear through a few episodes, including the pilot, that this is like a secret government project. Right, but it's a little bit of future because like they try to show like Al a lot of times is dressed in like 
what they think is like future clothes, which really is, he, they dress him kind of like a pimp. I mean, no, it's they, very like satiny, silky, flashy colors. They dress him like, so this is what I figured out in, in rewatching this. He's dressed like a futuristic version of a 1940s like cool jazz cat yeah that would make sense so he's in like where you would have in the 40s like a vest and a hat and like um trousers with the pleats yes all of that's exaggerated and then it's bright colors like the 80s and early 90s so like it's a red vest and like a matching red hat and maybe matching red pants right and sometimes he's got on like his army bomber jacket yeah from korea yeah or right? some or vietnam. vietnam from vietnam or sometimes he's in uniform and yeah sometimes. because he's an actually he's a navy rear admiral yeah but again i think i think those interestingly are kind of um you could say that they're a product of the 80s because we did go through that whole thing where like the 1940s kind of had a little bit of a comeback with like yeah. swing music and stuff but also that's what happens with fashion so I liked the way that they kind of mixed his wardrobe to be like maybe this would all come back the way like bell bottoms came back and the way right. right like all of that kind of thing. It's kind of interesting. There's a number of instances during this episode where Troyan has kind of near death experiences. She faints and almost falls off the dock. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an earthquake and she's in the mausoleum and like a bunch of skeletons and stuff pop out. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a number of situations that are to make it kind of try to be sort of like a scary horror movie. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a quantum leap episode. The this the earthquake with the skeletons, this was my only low point of the episode that the camera is clearly shaking. Right. Instead of the it's it's very clear that they're moving the camera back and forth to make it look like an earthquake. And then all these skeletons, but like all the skeletons fall on her all at once. My highlight is that they took a lot of time to have the viewer really be able to question, is this paranormal or is this scientific? Yeah. Including things like Al thinks the housekeeper can see him, but it's very clear that Jimmy, the brother, is sensitive to things like Troyan mm-hmm. and can sort of possibly hear Al at different points. Well, what they they write that off, Sam writes that off as the the sensor equipment is catching Ziggy's signal of Al. Right. And it's making Al's voice be but, able to be heard sometimes. But he writes it off that way, but right. Al doesn't. Right, you right. know what I'm saying? So, I think it's kind of interesting. They have a lot of romantic tension. Between Troyan and, and Sam or here Dr. Mintz, right? Oh. Um, and I thought that they built that up very well. That they clearly go from like him caring about her and getting her out of the rain to them having an almost kiss after the earthquake. Yes. Like they they take time to kind of build that up even though it's just one episode. Um, oh, also, so Steve and I had to watch these separately. And I forgot to tell you about this, but there are wolves that are howling through this entire episode. And I had to pause it probably eight or nine times because the dog went crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> there was wolves and dogs because they yes. were hearing they were hearing the high-pitched machines. Right. Right? And right. so, yeah, but that's so hilarious. There's, there's um, 
basically every the the ghost turns out to be various tape recorders. Yes. And the pitch from the tape recorders and also when they had the earthquake that animals can sense right. that. Right. So the wolves howl and then our dog's ears perk up and then she runs downstairs and starts barking and I'm like it's on oh. It's pretend. And yeah, it's I keep, on TV. I keep trying to teach her the word pretend, but she doesn't get it. She doesn't get that. Um, at any rate, I also, my other highlight is that, um, you know, Al is a womanizer through the entire show until we learn about Beth, the very tail end of it. Yes. I forgot about Tina. Yes. Tina is Al's, like, on-again, off-again girlfriend. Yeah, and she's she's a tech person in the Quantum Leap program. Right. Um, yeah, that's true. And so it, at the end of this, obviously, as, as Megan said, there's ends up being tape recorders and it's Jimmy. Troyan's brother is actually trying to kind of get her to kill herself or to kill her so that he basically gets all the money that she got from her husband. Yeah. Dead. And he explains that he's got a lot of um, a lot of debt. And that he's been basically stealing money from her. Yeah. So the the fiscal year is about to end. She would have figured it out anyway. Mm-hmm. And if she's dead, um, then he can, yeah, then he can get her estate. Yeah. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, anytime we had a bad guy who needed money, it was because they had gambling debts. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, later on, it would have been like they created a Ponzi scheme. Right, right, that's true. <laughs> or or now it would be like they invested in a tech bubble. The, yeah, they burst. lost a lot in the market. Yeah, yeah that's true. But, um, yeah, it's, it's all, well, it's also for somebody of his social class, um, that is a relatively easy black market to kind of dip into. Right? Yeah, and it's very attractive, right? It's like yeah. Lotto that tends to be attractive to the lower middle class, middle class, because they're trying to get more money. Right, and yeah. trying to, to change their lives. Yep. And it really, in many cases, ends up ruining their lives instead. Yes. Even if they win, or especially if they win. Um, I don't want to get started on so, the lotto. In, when, as they catch Jimmy, there's an earthquake, um, and a few of the bodies that drowned in the lake are released from the mud, and they've been kept... Almost pristine because the the lake is freezing cold at the bottom. But <laughs> and they find that one of them is the housekeeper. Yes. And she fades away in the window. Yeah, because now her injustice has been rectified. Yeah. Sam helped to put right two wrongs. Yeah. The first was that she and her husband had been murdered. Basically, they owned the estate. Yeah, like a hundred years him. ago. But. The, the other thing is that Jimmy falls into the lake and dies and then they can't find him. I'm like, here's the thing. This lake is like a pond, okay, as we're talking about it. This is not like Lake Michigan or Lake Superior. No, it's like two acres maybe, if that. Yeah, and they, they, they looked for her husband's body of Julian, but they couldn't find him. But then an earthquake, I put in my notes, how many bodies are in this pond? There's like th- a couple of them. There's, there's like three there's that three. pop up. There might even be more that just didn't make it to the surface because this family has a history of violence, right? Yeah. So the other thing is that um, we have, I kind of liked and kind of didn't like that um, Troyan makes the decision when the police come. She identifies Julian's body and she tells them what happened to Jimmy. And she basically, they surmise that Jimmy tried to save her from drowning. Instead of trying to drown her. 
Yeah. And, which does happen. You try to save somebody yeah. from drowning and drown yourself. And she covers for Jimmy, sort of. She covers for Jimmy. And then we have... What's interesting to me is that Sam Beckett is a different type of masculinity that he's not just always about being the biggest, the strongest, right? right. He's also very kind. And he's showing, like... This new idea that people who do things, sometimes they're just like, they're mentally ill. But he goes, he goes, don't blame yourself. He was, you're a survivor. And he says, Jimmy was just very sick. And I'm like, Jimmy was an effing sociopath. Oh, yeah. Like, full on. He was a narcissistic. Yeah. He was a malignant, narcissistic sociopath. He even says, I know the difference between right and wrong, and I don't care. Yeah, he full on tells him that. legitimately a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the other thing I didn't care for is that Sam, at the very end, leaps out, but typically Al comes in, and it kind of pulls him aside and tells him what happens next. Yes. We didn't get that here, and it was really disappointing. No, because they wanted to leave you with the ghost. Yeah, I know. And I was like, eh. You think it was their Halloween episode? I was like, I'd rather see if Dr. Mintz and Trojan got together. I know, right? Yeah, I'm assuming it was a Halloween episode. There was an episode also, not just this ghost at the end, there was also an episode where there was vampires. With Stephen King, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Um, I saw that like a year ago, and I had never seen it before. And I happened to be at my parents' house, and the Sci-Fi Network was on. I was like, mm. I've never seen this episode of Quantum Leap. Yeah. And I only saw like a third of it. But what I was going to say is, okay, so here's the ending that I wrote in my head. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Al comes back, and he pulls Sam aside. And he's like, oh, um, Troyan and Dr. Mintz get married in a couple months. And Sam's like, really? He's like, yeah. And then Mintz, instead of publishing about ghosts, he shifts his focus as a parapsychologist. He writes about being abducted by aliens and being held in like a white room filled with light. And they realize that Dr. Mintz kind of somewhat remembered his experience leaping out of his own body and then coming back in. <laughs> and then they look at each other and they're like, whoa. And then, yeah. and then the show, and, and then, then Sam and leaps. Then Sam leaps out. That's my, that's my alt ending for you. My fan fiction yes. ending. Um, I just thought that that idea would be hilarious. <laughs> and I legitimately must have written that in my head because I kid you not. I thought that that's how this episode ended. Like <laughs> that's how indelibly like that thought must have stuck with me. So then we come to season four, episode three. The hurricane. Um, Sam leaps into the body of Mississippi Deputy Sheriff Archie Nassace. Yep. Um, who's along with his girlfriend, Red Cross nurse Sissy Davis, they're trying to get people to evacuate this area um, due to an impending arriving hurricane. So this is August 17th, 1969. I did look it up. This is Hurricane Camille. And it, they mentioned Camille yeah, at one point. It yeah. was one of the most devastating storms in the United States. It killed over 300 people. And um, my first note on this episode is that no one is dressed like it's 1969 at all. These people look like they are straight out of the 80s. I was like, thinking that too. It could have been the 80s. I actually had to look it up because I missed the title card telling us it was 69. Mm -hmm. And I had to look up when Hurricane Camille was. Because remember that big hurricane in Texas in the 80s? Yeah, I was there. Which which one? Alicia. 
Hurricane Alicia. Yeah, Hurricane Alicia is the one that I thought it might have been. Because right. they all, because that, how, when was that? 83. And that's about what they look like they're dressed. Yeah, yeah. They're all dressed, uh, especially the love interest here, who is Nurse Sissy Davis. He's the one. She's the one that Sam is sent to save. Yeah, it's a lot of S's. Yeah, Al basically tells Sam that that night during the storm, she was gonna leave and be found dead at her house, having been hit on the head. Right. Um, but as I said, 360 people did die during this hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, but I put in my notes, Sissy looks like she's from 1990, not 1969. I think it's the curly hair. Yeah. And just the way that she's styled. Then we have Lisa. <sighs> okay. What are your thoughts on Lisa? Well, Lisa is, Sam is, is who is Archie this time. Lisa is Archie's ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. who he broke up with because of because he met Sissy. And Lisa is kind of a hot she's a clinger, stage 5. Okay? And she completely is like still hung up on Archie um and just stalking him and wants him back yeah. and yeah, she's like obsessed with Archie. There are also um some choices here on the part of the actor. Mm-hmm. to have what can only be described as the thickest, fakest Texas accent that I've heard on TV in many, many years. Yes. Archie, seeing you again made me think. I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with this girl. Lisa is, so Lisa's played by Tracy Colas, and I have to say, I'm, I'm looking at her IMDb, she that accent might be real. <laughs> now don't because you feel terrible? She also plays Marlene in Seinfeld and she says things like, Now Jerry and like she does have that kind of accent. So I, I don't know. It might it might be legitimate. Oh, no, it's not. She was born in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. Well, she just found a good southern accent and decided to stick with it. <laughs> Do we call it good? I don't know if we put <laughs> She's it... like, well, she thought it was. It was. It was. Yeah. She thought it was good enough to keep. So, thankfully, she was not in every scene. Yeah. She's, like, oozing up to him. And he's and... just like, I'm in a sissy. And, again, we have a thing where... Archie and Sissy are hot items, so Sam's attracted to her, and they do some crazy making out in some closets. big time! (laughs) In the middle of a hurricane, they're like, this is pretty hot, let's go make out the closet. (laughs) He's like, no, Sissy, I only like, I only love you. Um, Sissy also has an ex-boyfriend who we will, we will talk about. Yeah, Joe. Joe. Joe's a hot mess on a whole other level. Yeah, and so, you know, the thing that strikes me about this, right, is the whole episode, obviously, he's he's trying to evacuate people, and he brings in a bunch of old people. There's a bunch of people that are partying and they refuse to leave their apartments. Right. Right, and he's trying to save a bunch of people. And it's interesting, because this is sort of a mystery, which a lot of the Quantum Leaps are, right? He's playing a sheriff's detective, or a, a sheriff's deputy, right? Mm-hmm. And... I put down in my notes, there's a lot of red herrings in this episode. Yeah, there are. Right? First, it's the hurricane killed her. Mm -hmm. Then it's, well, the dog got loose and she went after the dog and died. Then it's, well, Joe is violent and he was the last to see her. And it's him, right? And then finally, Lisa. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. I, I really liked that about this episode because yeah. both of these episodes are very classic Quantum Leap in the fact that they're structured like a mystery. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a cool blending of genres. It's like part mystery, part romance, part sci-fi, which I really enjoy. Um, I think that genre bending helps to like shift our expectations because we know what happens typically in a mystery and we know what happens typically in a romance. Sometimes mm-hmm. we know what happens in sci-fi. But when they're all kind of jumbled together, anything could happen, yeah. right? And the other thing, this a lot of the action and, and um, kind of as they're gathering clues, mm-hmm. they're in a safe house um, that they know will be protected, right? right? And I really liked how they used these elderly people who were coming in to stay at the safe house as kind of comic relief. Yeah. I also liked the bit about the people at the hurricane party because 100% that is something that would happen. Yeah, there's people that are drunk and like, like we're going to ride it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are people like that. Yeah. And, and of course, we find out at the end it was Lisa. Oh, Who big in reality time. killed her because she wanted... Archie back. Yeah. They made it look like the storm did it, basically. The, before we get to that, though, I want to say, too, that Joe, the ex, he's been friend-zoned. And he has this scene with Sissy that I was like, oh, maybe she's going to get back together with him because they're kind of looking out the window reminiscing. Talking about their childhood together. Then yeah. she says that, you know, that was a nice time and she appreciates the person that he was in her life, which I think is very realistic. When you have a first love like that, you don't have to be like bitter about it. Yeah. But he is bitter and he lets her dog outside in the middle of a hurricane. On purpose. And he goes, dog wanted to go out, so I let him out. Yeah. What? Why are all of the men in these shows narcissists? <laughs> I don't know. Except Who would Sam. do that to a poor little dog? I didn't like that. Yeah, but I do. I love that they have like these gaps in history where I think that's very true, right? Like you know, you know the record of a historical event, but you might not know all of the details. Right. And that I kind of enjoy. The climax of our story comes. The hurricane hits. Sissy should be safe in the safe house. Everybody else goes to the basement. Sam is driving a car because he's had to save the 12 people at the party. Yeah, the stupid party goers that refused to leave earlier, he now has to go save or they're going to die. He shoots a gun up in the air and I put in my notes, the music is driving a beat that mashes my anxious heart. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my exact notes. Crazy Lisa with the fake accent, his back, the causeway, she lies about it being washed out. And then she says, can I have some coffee? Bitch, it is in the middle of a hurricane. You're asking Sissy to go get you coffee. Yeah. You're so crazy. Because she didn't want to go down into the basement with everyone. She wanted Sissy alone. I know, but she asked her for coffee like the windows haven't just crashed in from the hurricane. Um, So it's a ruse to get a knife. They grapple over the knife. Al is watching this whole thing, and he's kind of like an audience member like we are. Because he's like, he's yelling them at... He's yelling at them the way you yell at, like, a movie screen. Yeah, Al's the guy in the theater that's like, run! Right? And I love the dramatic irony there. Then, Lisa starts slamming Sissy's head against the posts of this house. Mm -hmm. Uh, She tries to kill her. Archie intervenes. She tries to kill him. 
Um, then she tries to kill herself. Um, I and, know. Um, Lisa, he's just not that into you, yeah. honey. Just, you've been friend-zoned. Go find somebody else. It's a really good fight. And he saves the day. And um, But we find out that Lisa goes to intensive therapy for a good many years. But then she's okay. But then she's okay. Sissy was scared to go back to school. Sam doesn't leap right away. He takes the time to convince her. You're good at this. And you should be a psychologist. You should help people. And you, you know, she goes, well, I'm afraid. And he goes, you just faced a hurricane and a woman trying to do murders on you. Yeah. Like, I think that's way worse be okay. than writing a paper. Yeah. You know? Um, I really liked that, though, because as somebody who teaches at a community college, I have a lot of adult students where that is a fear for them. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was kind of nice to see him um, doing that. They get together all is well and then just as you think everything's gonna be okay sam leaps out and he's in the middle of a kkk meeting yes he's being inducted (laughs) into the clan to which he says oh boy (laughs) which is really an understatement in this case yes um yeah so let's talk about the reception we talked a little bit about the fandom before in our fun facts yeah. but how was this so received you mentioned time? a little bit like there was some fandom afterwards they did there was a novel done there was a um comic book uh david belisario mentioned a number of years later that he had written a movie mm. for it okay just never got done um, and maybe they utilize that in some of the setting up for the, the new Quantum Leap, um, which we know is not going to be a remake, but kind of a sequel. It's going to be like you yeah. know, people with the program later, basically. Um, but it, you know, it, it was interesting because it was successful when it was on, but it got moved around a lot. Um, okay. It actually, in its, in its four years, it was on four different nights. Really? Yeah, it was on... Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh gosh, so Friday's they, the death. So slot. they jumped it around a number of times. Um, Would you say they quantum leaped it around? Or in I'm sorry, no. <laughs> in the five seasons, yeah, it jumped around a number of times, right? Yeah. The first season was nine episodes because it was a small season, mm-hmm. and then it was twenty two, twenty two, twenty two, twenty two. Right. So it was um, probably a mid season replacement show. Yeah, came it was in, March. Right. Yep. Yeah, it came in for something that was being canceled. Um, but. But even though they moved it around a lot and everything, it was a really big hit with the 18 to 49 demographic, which is the sweet spot you really want to be in, right? But it's crazy to me because I think I do, I guess because of my age, I think of this as kind of like, not a kid's show, but like a family show. Yeah. Like we all watch, my brother loved this show too, and he would have been only like, you know, eight or nine. I think he saw mostly in syndication, but still. The finale was viewed by 13 million American households. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it did have a following. Right. Um, so among the, it had 43 nominations. Quantum Leap received 17 awards in its five seasons. Wow. Six Emmys and two Golden Globes. 43 nominations. That's crazy. Yeah. Because so, I thought of this as like a show that I loved, but not necessarily like a critically acclaimed show yeah you know and and some of them it had a number of other smaller awards like, like I said, editing and sound well, editing no like that weren't emmys or golden globes oh, right okay. there's other things there's like people's choice family fam- right right and back scott bacula was nominated for a number of those but the big ones that it got like the the emmys the six emmys were 
Um, a lot of them were in like cinematography. That makes sense. Um, you know, things like one of the Vietnam episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. There were certain episodes that really were were big big winners. Despite getting moved around a lot in five seasons, uh, ninety seven episodes is a very successful run. Um, and it and it was an award winning show. And to to have thirteen million households watch your finale is pretty impressive. Did he ever win for best actor? He did win a Golden Globe in ninety one for best actor. He should have won it every year. <laughs> and, and I think Dean Stock did a great job. And we we already talked earlier about his acting chops. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a shame because sometimes the things that win for Emmys, like I don't like want to make people mad, but. A show that's very formulaic, like Everybody Loves Raymond, that'll like win, mm-hmm. you know, for things. And I'm always like, I don't get it. Also, you have to remember, especially in the 80s and 90s, a lot of like acting, a lot of best actor, actress so Emmys went to like soap operas. Yeah, I mean, like nighttime soap operas. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so that's how it was received. So how did we receive it? Okay. I'm willing to go first this time. Go for it. This is a no-brainer. This is, I just said, he should have won the best the best actor every year this show was on. But what if you had Swiss cheese brain like Sam? Fine. I don't, oh, okay. still, still wins. Um, Scott Bakula's acting is amazing. Dean Stockwell's acting is amazing. He plays, like, sometimes comic relief and sometimes very serious. There's a big range for both of them. Yes. There are episodes of this show that are funny and... There are episodes that are romantic. There are episodes that are like thrillers. It almost, it's it's genre bending. As I said before, I can't think of many episodes of this television series, the whole run, that I don't like. And that's saying something for, for 97 mm. episodes. <laughs> right. Even the ones that I'm like, meh, they're still better than 95% of what's on TV right now. Right? Yeah. And, um... It is 100% 10 out of 10. Great acting, great storytelling, great, as you said, cinematography. Boom. Sound editing. The the songs match the mood of whatever's going on. Yes. The costuming sometimes isn't 100% there, but we're working with a TV budget. Right. Right? For a television show, it feels like you're watching a movie every week. Yeah. This is very, very easily for me. 10 out of 10 Adams. Um, what do you think? So, 10 out of 10 Adams. Okay. Well, I first off, I have to say ditto to a lot of things you just said. What I will say is... There's a few things here that I really love about it. I did love Scott Bakula's acting. I'm a big fan of Scott Bakula. Dean Stock was acting phenomenal. One of the things I loved about this concept-wise is it's one of the very few, almost all sci-fi time-jumping, time-traveling storylines are all about the butterfly effect. Right. And don't change history. Don't do anything. This was the opposite. He was like, F it. I'm changing history. I'm going to save people that died. Yes. Right? And it completely flies in the face of most modern time travel storylines. Right? Um, And then, as you've said before, every episode is almost like its own movie. And to have the science fiction aspect merged with the historical aspect. Right? This was almost like the grandfather of Forrest Gump. Right, yeah. Where you're seeing all these historical events being played into into the story. But they're also, for the most part, 
very personal stories within yes. that as well. It you, wasn't just the event. It was a person in that event. Right. So you have a couple, like, yeah, there's a Kennedy episode. There's a Marilyn Monroe episode. But for the most part, these are, like, very personal stories of small lives that seem insignificant but aren't. Yes. Right? And it's kind of like that it's a wonderful life thing of, like, what a small change in one man's life and how many bigger changes and greater things that could bring. Yep. And just making normal people's lives a little bit better. Agreed. And I love stories that are about, you know, do-gooders. And that's what Sam is. He's trying to improve things. He's trying to fix people's lives. And I really like that. And so, um, yeah, I have to give it a 10 out of 10 Adams as well. Wow. So, And I think that might be the first. This episode is the unicorn. We did five for Pop-Tarts and ten for Quantum Leap. And ten for Quantum Leap. It's a perfect score. It's a perfect score, and I don't think we've given anything a perfect score yet. Not, especially not 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 both. both. Yeah. So, highly recommend. Yep. It's on Prime, and it's on the Roku channel, and... Yeah! Ten Adams out out of ten. ten. 10 out of 10 Adams for the show, 5 out of 5 for the snack. This is a big winner. This is a big episode. I have to say, we just finished our bonus episode, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, the propaganda movie made for children to keep them off drugs. Yeah. This was such a refreshing break after that. Yeah, the thing is with this, it's got to be a 10 because I would never, like anybody that came up to me and said, hey, what do you think of Quantum Leap? Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about it. Nope. And like... I want, you know, when if, if we had children, right, or if we have children, I want, like, I would want to buy the DVD set so I could sit them down when they're an adolescent and be like, watch this. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and even watching it now, you know, one of the questions that we do ask is, does this hold up? And 100%, it holds up. We have friends who are Gen Zers who we were talking to about this show. And they were like, oh, it sounds so cool. And I was like, we can binge watch it together. Yeah. Because and here's some Pop-Tarts. here's some Pop-Tarts. <laughs> we're going to fatten you up while we do it. Um, no, because I think even for them, they've neither of them have seen this before. We told them the concept. And I will say, too... The, the one that we watched, it was cleaned up, like in terms of um, making it ready for HD yes. on, on the TV. So it, it doesn't have that look either. Um, yeah, so we, as I said, we just did a bonus episode of um, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. And that came out before this, just because of timing and us being able to watch things. Yeah. Um, we are finishing our cycle next week with Field of Dreams. So our cycle is a cartoon, a TV show, and a film. Um, we watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Last time, this time it's Quantum Leap. Next time it's Field of Dreams. And then our next cycle is going to start up with My Little Pony. And then we have some selections for the summer salute your shorts the classic nickelodeon tv show that i don't think steve's ever seen no but that's okay because i've watched a few things here that i've never seen and then we're gonna watch camp nowhere which was my summer movie pick and we'll see whether or not that holds up as well so those are what what are coming up because field of dreams is a movie we don't have what is steve willing to watch this yes 
I know you're so sad about it. But we will have that segment next time because we're going to be talking about My Little Pony. And I'm sure that there are a number of funny episodes that you can choose from with that show. Oh, good. So that's it. Um, Please remember to, if you enjoy the show, like, subscribe, rate, review. We have a Facebook page and that's where we have a lot of our interactions. Um, And we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Comment or do suggestions because we've now done two fan suggestions. We've done three. Three. You're right. Willy Wonka. We did Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from Anne-Marie. We did Flight Flight of the the Navigator Navigator. from Will. And we did Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue from Dave. We are open and we've proven that we will do suggestions. Yes. All right. That's it for us this week, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. This podcast is supported by its creators. And listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks!